0: Well, today I wanna begin by asking you a question, and uh, this is just something I want you to think about. Um, The question is simply this. Have you ever won a contract? Have you ever won someone's heart? How'd you do it? Well, today we're going to listen to a story that Jesus told that reminds all of us that we in fact know the answer to this question, even if we don't realize it. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus begins, uh, speaking to his disciples by turning to them and asking a very familiar question. And he says to them, he says, what do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that's wandered off? Now, when we hear that question from many of us, if we're honest, if we just kind of run that through, you know, our modern mindset for, for a moment, um, the truth is we might say no because listen, they still have 99, right? And what's the difference between having 100 sheep and having 99 sheep? But see, in this culture, in Jesus' day, everyone was nigh their head yes, because of course they would go after the one sheep, regardless if, if it was the shepherd who owned the sheep or if it was someone who had been hired to take care of somebody else's sheep. If you started the day off with 100 and you left with 100, at the end of the day, you're gonna come back with 100. And the assumption that Jesus makes and that his audience agreed with was that if you're counting your sheep and you're missing one, you you leave the 99 in a safe place and you spend whatever time is necessary to go and find that one missing sheep. Now, if you're part of the 99, it might feel like the shepherd is somehow saying that you're not as valuable as the one. But see, that's not true. In fact, what it is doing is showing you what the shepherd would do for you if you were in fact the one were lost. Jesus continues in verse 13 and he says this, he says, and if, right, and that's interesting, isn't it, right, because he says if, not when, and if, because he might not, and if he finds it, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. And see we've heard Jesus say this before and everyone in his audience agreed because this is something all of us can relate to. When we lose something that's valuable to us, we become focused on that thing that we don't have and we take no pleasure, we take no joy in the things that we do have. And so Jesus says in the same way that the shepherd, even though he has 100 sheep and he's only lost one, He doesn't sit around reminding himself that he's still got 99. Instead, he's totally focused on finding that one. And if he does, there is extraordinary celebration, not over the 99 that never got lost, but over that one that had wandered off and that he was later able to find. And remember, Jesus starts this story off by asking his disciples, what do you think? And so far, they're all looking at Jesus and they're like, well, Jesus, we think what you think. Besides Jesus, we've heard this one before. We get it, right? We're we're with you. What's the point even? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 14, he says, well, in the same way, right? In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, as Jesus was telling the story to his disciples, what Matthew records for us is that immediately before Jesus begins this story, what we discover is that there is, in fact, a group of little children that are present. And somehow in their own miraculous sort of way, they have in fact recognized that Jesus is from God. And so Jesus says in the same way that you would agree with me about a shepherd or a hired shepherd and that he would not go home until he's done everything he could do to find a sheep that's wandered off. In that same way, Jesus says. In other words, with all the same emotion, with all the same passion, your heavenly father, he would not want any of these little ones, these these children to wander off or wander away and again everyone in Jesus audience thinking about children is thinking okay Jesus that's exactly right if you have two or three or four kids and one of them wanders off and you can't find one of your kids you don't think well I've still got one or I've still got two if you've ever temporarily misplaced a child right I've told you my sad story before then you know the sense of panic It it just overwhelms you Right? And it's easy to see how Jesus is building the story, because he starts with sheep, and sheep are cute. But the truth is, they're also kind of dirty, and they stink, and they make messes all over the place. But then Jesus moves to children, and everyone in his audience, whether they were a parent or not, was thinking, okay, that's true, right? That's true. I'm sure God doesn't want anything to happen to one of these little children, just like we wouldn't want something, whether we're a parent or not. We don't want to ever see something that would cause harm to a child. And so Jesus says, your heavenly father, if one of these children were to wander off, and Jesus doesn't mean physically, in a moment we're gonna see that. Instead he means wander away from their faith, or wander away from their trust in who their heavenly father really is and how he really feels about them, or wander off into something that will ultimately hurt them. Jesus says in the same way, your heavenly father doesn't want any of these children to wander away. And so the assumption Jesus left his disciples with was, That just like a good shepherd, if they wandered off, God would go looking for them. But as Jesus continues his story, it becomes obvious that Jesus isn't talking about sheep and he isn't even talking about little children. Instead, Jesus is talking about something far more threatening because Jesus is talking about me and he's talking about you. He's talking about what happens when people wander off. And see, the assumption we make as we listen to Jesus as he tells this story is to say, okay, Jesus, listen, I get it. You're saying that if there's someone I care about, right, someone I'm connected to relationally because we're a part of the same flock, right? We're in the same group, kind of like sheep, but it's more emotional than sheep because it's someone I know, it's someone I'm connected to, who who I care about personally. And so it's more like a child. And so if they were to begin to wander off or, or wander into some kind of a dangerous path, if they were abandoning their faith or they were neglecting their family, if they were developing a habit or a behavior that's putting themselves or, or their family in harm or at risk, what you're saying, Jesus, is that our heavenly father does not want to see that happen and he, like a good shepherd, would go and get them and, and bring them back. Isn't that what you're saying, Jesus? And see, Jesus would look at us and say, well, sort of, because this is about your heavenly father being concerned for people Who wander off or who wander away or who wander towards something that will hurt them but see it's also more than that and this is important because most of the time we miss this and you've heard me talk about this before one of the downfalls about how we read and how we think about scripture is that we often forget that when Jesus spoke these words and when when Matthew recorded what Jesus said there weren't any there weren't any headings There weren't any verse numbers. Those were, in fact, added a thousand years later to make it easier for us. And see, most of the time they're exceedingly useful, but occasionally, occasionally they have the unintended consequence of disconnecting in our minds things that are not supposed to be disconnected. Because Jesus does not stop his story in verse 14. He keeps going. And he connects it to a previous story that he's told. Verse 15, if your brother or your sister sins against you, go and show them their fault just between the two of you. And see, it's here that we realize that the story that Jesus is connecting this story to, it isn't the story of a father and a prodigal son. It's the story of two brothers, two followers of Jesus, one with a speck of sawdust in their eye and the other a plank and Jesus says I don't want you to talk about it with your friends and I don't want you to just you know pray about it I want you to go and talk with them I want you to show him or show her their fault to to which we think okay but Jesus listen there is no point in me trying to talk to them because we think they're not going to listen to me right it's not going to change it's not going to do any good or or maybe what I tell myself sometimes right which is it's not going to work But see, listen to what Jesus says next in verse 15. And if they listen to you, right? Notice the connection back to verse 13 when Jesus is talking about the sheep. And if he finds it, and if they listen to you, which means they might not listen to you, but if they do, Jesus continues, then you have won them over. Which literally means you have delivered your brother or your sister from loss. You have delivered them from the consequences of their decision. You have not in an eternal sense, but in a practical sense. You have saved your brother or your sister from the hurt or the error of their way. In other words, you have the potential to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. You have the potential to be like the shepherd in Jesus' story. You have the potential to be the one God uses to save this brother or sister from the consequences of their decision and save them from further hurt or further pain. And see, Jesus, he he knows what we're thinking. In verse 16, he says, but if they will not listen, because see, that's the reason we don't do this, isn't it? Right, first we tell ourselves it's none of our business. And then even if we do somehow manage to convince ourselves that it is our responsibility to to say something, then we say, well, listen, there's no point in even trying because they're not going to listen to me anyway. But if they will not listen, take one or two others' law. It's like, okay, wait a minute, Jesus, hang on. Are, are you kidding? I mean, listen, Jesus, I already took him out to lunch once and he told me to buzz off because it's none of my business, right? And you want me to do this again? Jesus, I already called her once and halfway through the conversation the phone was dead silent and I knew she wasn't listening And now you're telling me to make another call this time with somebody else on the line I mean Jesus all my friends told me to stay out of it And I already feel like I went above and beyond and I did the godly thing and it didn't work They didn't change. They didn't listen And see Jesus says then go back And take somebody with you why because they're like a sheep that's lost They're like a child who has wandered off. And if you were walking down the sidewalk and you saw a child who wasn't paying attention to what was going on around them start to walk into the middle of a busy street, I mean, you're not just going to stand there from the other side of the street and say, hey, honey, please don't go over there. Well, you know, I tried. And see, in the very same way, in this culture, if you had a sheep that went missing... You wouldn't spend five minutes looking and then give up. You would do whatever it takes. And Jesus is saying, I want you to understand the intensity and the passion behind this. I want you to understand how passionate your Heavenly Father is about finding and rescuing wandering people who matter to him. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be casual about it. I don't want you hiding behind, it's not my business, or who am I to judge? I don't even want you to hide behind, I tried and it didn't work. Because if it didn't work the first time, then I want you to go a second time. And this time I want you to bring somebody with you, he says. Take one or two others along, so that everything may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, he says, so that people know how these conversations are going. And then listen to this in verse 17. If they still refuse to listen, right? To which I thought, okay, wait a minute, Jesus. I thought I was doing good to even bring up the subject. Then I went back again and they were looking at me like, okay, we've already had this conversation. I've already told you to mind your own business. I already told you I don't want you to try to care about me. I don't want you to try to rescue me. And yet Jesus says, you still don't give up. Why? Because this is the heart of God that we are trying to reflect. Right, let me put it this way. When does God give up on you? I mean, how many times have you been convicted of the same sin? Once? Twice? I mean, how many times has God bailed you out or sent people into your life or shown you something in Scripture or spoken to your conscience? I mean, when does God give up? And see, Scripture is is pretty clear, isn't it? He doesn't give up. And so Jesus is saying, okay, Joe, I want you to be my mouthpiece. And a phone call and a conversation or an awkward moment, that isn't enough to make me give up. And so I don't want it to be enough to make you give up. Because you're to be like a shepherd who doesn't give up. You're like a parent looking for a child who doesn't give up. And so Jesus said, if they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. Now, before you panic, I want you to think about this for a moment. When Jesus said this, was there even a church yet? Right. No, the answer is no, there wasn't. There wasn't even a church yet. Right. The church doesn't even begin until long after this event. It doesn't begin until Pentecost. The, the, the little Greek word that would later come to refer to church, like you and I think about church, it just simply meant gathering. That's all it meant. It wasn't referring to an institution or to an organization. It wasn't referring to anything official. It was just like you and I saying, a gathering or an assembly. And so Jesus is saying this. He's saying, first, go by yourself. And then second, you take somebody with you. And if after that, if their attitude is still like, okay, get out of my face, it's none of your business, Jesus says, then I want you to go to that group of people, not an organization. I want you to go to that group of people, that, that gathering of people that assembly of people who are familiar with this person, who know about the situation, and who also care about this person. Jesus says, I want you to go to that group, that gathering, and you say to that group, listen, we need to do something. And see, I get it, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, okay, Joe, what else you got? Because nobody does that, I mean, that's crazy. But come on, if this was your son? If this was your daughter? I mean, when would you give up? You, you, you would never give up. You right? see, and that is Jesus' point. He's saying, I want you to go to the people who are involved. Go to the people who are interested. Go to the people who know, the people who are a part of this person's life, their inner circle of influence, the people who, who have the potential to influence them. I want you to go to that group of people and say, listen, it's no secret about what's going on in Frank's life. And I've talked with him and a couple of us have talked with him and it didn't go anywhere and he won't listen. So what are we going to do? And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Unless you've read the gospels and you've seen how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors. See, and here's the point, and we miss this so much. As long as this person is a brother or sister, This is what Jesus is saying. As long as you are connected to them emotionally and relationally, I want you to treat them like you would a brother or sister, which means we ask the question, what does love require of me? Remembering that love forbids me from sizing you up and writing you off, and love also forbids me from sizing you up and walking away. But if you go searching for them, and you've done the one, and you've done the two, you've even done the gathering, you've done everything else that you can, and still nothing... Then Jesus says, I want you to begin to interact with this person as though they are no longer a brother or a sister, which does not mean that you withhold love. It means that you pour on love because if they are no longer a brother or a sister, this isn't about payback, it's about win back. But the last thing you do is stand there and do nothing, sit there and do nothing. The last thing we do is hide behind. It's not my responsibility because when we hide behind, it's not my responsibility we miss our opportunity to rescue now some of you might know what this is this is called a rope bag and the reason it's called a rope bag is because it is a bag which has been filled with rope right so i know very clever but these are in fact used to rescue people out of rivers i got really familiar with rope bags when i was in my early mid-20s because I spent a lot of time mountaineering and, and backpacking about seven years or so, um, back, back, uh, backcountry, backpacking and mountaineering. I had a gold claim in Colorado for several of those years. Um, I, I did a lot of whitewater rafting during that time. I actually, um, summited 10 of the 14 ers in Colorado. And I also did a lot of whitewater rafting. Well, during that time, two of my very close friends and myself, Mike Blodgett, Matt Pirano, and I, we made a couple trips out to Colorado, and on one of those trips, we got to raft on the Arkansas River. Now, Mike and Matt, they they got to raft a couple of times on that trip. Unfortunately, I was able to only go once because I sliced my wrist open pretty badly, and I couldn't get the stitches out in time for the second run. But the interesting thing about whitewater rafting in Colorado, especially on the Arkansas River, as opposed to say West Virginia, if you're familiar with that, is that the the Arkansas River, um, that run, that 19 mile run that we did, it is all rapids, right? In West Virginia, the, the rivers have sections of rapids followed by sections of calm water. So you can set up for the next section of rapids. You can even jump out of your raft and you can float for a while. But in Colorado, the goal, believe it or not, is to simply stay in the boat because the water is so cold and one of the sections of the river that we rafted on was called the numbers. It's a highly technical class four and four plus river. And normally on every boat you would have, you know, a couple of these rope bags that the guide would use if someone got popped out. But we were there in June, the water was really high. It was really fast and it was very, very cold. And so as we approached a notoriously difficult section of the river called the Narrows, as a precaution, On each side of the bank, if you can picture this, standing every 50 feet or so apart was someone stationed with one of these. And sure enough, when someone was ejected out of the boat, there was a a series of, of rope bags that cascaded from shore towards the individual as they're washed through the rapids in an attempt to get them to safety. Because although going through big water in a paddle boat is awesome and exciting, going through as a swimmer can be deadly. In fact, one of the very first things that you learn from an experienced guide is that it's it's critical that you fight your natural instinct to try to stand up in the water if you get tossed out. You have to avoid foot entrapments on the riverbed. And see, when someone is in a situation like that, you can't just stand there and do nothing, right? In a situation like that, you've got to do something. And in the same way, many of us, we kind of stand on the side of a riverbank and we... We see people that we love. We see family, we see friends, we we see people that we care about, we see children. We see people that we know really well and people that maybe we don't know so well but we still care a lot about. And they're heading down a raging river without a boat and we can stand there and watch and we can pray. But we cannot ignore our responsibility to rescue. And see the problem with the rope bag, it's not real accurate. I mean, I've actually seen these things hit people in the head. I've seen them miss the person they were intended for entirely. I've seen them undershoot or overshoot the person they were intended for. I've seen them actually hit someone who was still in the boat and miss the person in the water. They're not very accurate, but what do you do? I mean, what are the options? Well, I don't know if I'm very good at throwing that, so I guess I'm just gonna stand here and see what happens, no. When someone is being washed down the river and their life is in danger, we don't just stand there, you do something. And see in the same way Jesus says, like a shepherd goes after a sheep, just like a parent will go after a child, when you see your brother or sister, a friend or a family member heading for the rapids, when you see them making decisions that you know are gonna cost them relationally, cost them spiritually, cost them financially, cost them their future, You don't stand there watching. You start throwing rope bags. And if the first one misses, we throw another. And if that one misses, we throw another and another and another. And we don't stop throwing. You just decide, I'll give up on them when my Heavenly Father gives up on me. See, we don't do this because it's easy. We do this because it's needed. Because when I was lost in my trespasses and sin, Jesus didn't stand by and watch. And he didn't threaten me. He didn't reject me. He did something. And he didn't hide behind. It's none of my business. He got involved and he did something, even though it was messy. And even though it was awkward. Even though it cost him. Even though for some of us, it didn't work. Or it didn't work right away he got involved anyway because when I was lost when you were lost when we were lost when we were dead in our trespasses in our sin because of his great love for us Jesus did something and he came after us not to punish us to save us not to alienate us to redeem us and to bring us back and so now Jesus says to us he says to me and he says to you if you're my follower now that you are my follower I want you to do the very same thing and you don't ever give up because I will never give up on you let me pray for us today Heavenly Father this lands in so many different ways for every single one of us listening even for me as I get the privilege to share this message with our church this weekend. And Father, I just ask that for every single person hearing this and listening to this message, that you would give us personally the courage we need to embrace the the passion, but also the sense of urgency that Jesus is teaching us and that he is showing us through the story and through your words. And Father, I pray that you would allow us individually, not just corporately, but individually to see the people in our world the way that you see them, that we would decide that it is in fact worth the risk to try to rescue. That that maybe, that maybe we would be the, the instrument in your hands that you use to rescue them from hurt or from pain or from sin, from separation. And Father, I just personally want to thank you so much for the people that you have sent into my life at so many different times to rescue me, even though they were uninvited at the time. Father, thank you so much for the example and the inspiration that Autumn has been to me to step up in so many situations. The courage that you have given to her and her refusal to just simply stand by and and quietly do nothing. Father, wherever this lands with us today, whether we're the, the one that someone else has tried to rescue and we've been critical, or we're the one who's thrown rope bags one after the other, Father, I just pray and ask that, that Holy Spirit, you give us the wisdom to know what to do with what you've just taught us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.